Bonds, Christopher Thomas. The Air It Out Podcast brought to you by Inside the Hashes. Find us on social media at Inside the Hashes at Air It Out Podcast. Check us out. Check us out. So, uh, you know, a little slight little knock at T.O. there who uh, has decided not to attend his uh, Hall of Fame ceremony. I think he's going to change his mind on that, but we'll see how all that goes in the next few months. Uh, speaking of Hall of Famers, Hall of Fame plays, uh, unfortunately this week we lost uh, Dwight Clark at the age of 61 to ALS. Of course, the receiving end of what some might consider to be the greatest play in NFL history. The catch, of course, that NFC title game against the Dallas Cowboys in 1981. Chris, Avery, welcome here, fellas. So I'm going to ask you, tons of huge plays in NFL history. Uh, in honor of Dwight Clark, we are taking a look at the greatest. What is the greatest play in NFL history? Chris, I'm going to start with you. I had, had to think about this for a good minute. But I probably have to think the greatest play in the history of the NFL is the David Tyree catching the Super Bowl back in 2007. I think with that play, it set up the rest of the drive and it set up the Eli Manning to Plessico Burris connection to not only for Eli to win the first Super Bowl, but to stop the potentially second undefeated season in NFL history. When you think about the catch, Eli Manning had to evade multiple linemen almost basically getting dragged down by his jersey, and David Tyree just made a ridiculous catch with Rodney Harrison dragging him down and just looping it on the side of his helmet and maintaining that catch to maintain that drive. It was probably the most ridiculous play I've ever seen, but it was also probably the greatest play I've also seen at the same time. Yeah, you got to think 100 out of 100 times that's probably not happening. Like, there's that one time that Eli Manning might look like a really athletic quarterback and break away from a tackle from a bunch of linemen and throw a ball up. David Tyree, the unsung hero. I mean, how many times is he making that catch in that fashion? How many times is Roddy Harrison not knocking that ball away? I mean, literally, he is muscle in the dude, and he somehow keeps it uh, pinned to his helmet. Of course, a huge play, and obviously that went on to be a huge play in them winning the Super Bowl. Avery, I'm going to turn to you. The greatest play in NFL history is what? All right, this one was actually tough for me, man. Um, so at first, I wanted to say, the catch, of course. Uh, then I wanted to say Lynn Swan's catch. That was just when that I was big, say, yeah. when I talk about when you talk about grace, that was just beautiful. I almost wanted to go David Tyree, but then I was like, eh, not really, because I feel like that was more a lack on uh, Mr. Harrison than it was really the catch by Tyree, and it was kind of pure happenstance. And like you said, you know, one in a million chance that that that'll happen, which. I guess you probably should say that's in favor of it, but not really to me. Then I wanted to go recent as far as with Aaron Rodgers and the Hail Mary he threw to Richard Rodgers, but I was like, he did it twice that season, so I can't really, he, he might just do that, you know. And then I wanted to go Aaron Rodgers to, uh, what is his name? Jeff Janis. Jeff Janis. Um, and I was like, nah, that's, a, that's another one. It's another one. He just, he just, he does this, right? Then I wanted to go Aaron Rodgers, the sideline catch that he threw to Ty Montgomery. That one was just ridiculous. Running to his left, turns his body, and fires a dart 30 yards down the field on the sideline. That one was sick. I also wanted to go Julio Jones in the Super Bowl, that catch that he made over two defenders, and he got his feet down on the sideline, but then I was like, ah, is that a better sideline catch than San Antonio Holmes catch in the Super Bowl? So I went with, and sorry, Falcons fans, but the greatest catch I've ever seen, or the greatest play, 
was the catch that Julian Edelman made in the Super Bowl when Robert Alford tipped the ball in the air. It's getting tipped around, and it is literally one inch from the ground, and Julian Edelman snags it just in time to preserve the Super Bowl win. If he doesn't make that catch, I don't think the Patriots win the Super Bowl. I don't think Patriots, I don't think uh, Tom Brady ends up being, you know, uh, a five-time Super Bowl winning quarterback. I don't think it happens. I think that the Falcons end up pulling that out, but it didn't happen that way. It was one of the greatest catches, one of the greatest plays I'd ever seen, and it really trumped what probably would have been the greatest Super Bowl catch ever, Julio Jones' catch on the sideline. So, to me, that one was just the concentration, the skill, the fact that he had defenders draped all over him. They're all going to the ground. It was just, to me, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's interesting because you look at the Super Bowl, and it seems like a lot of the Super Bowls recently have been defined by a play by that. There was uh, Seattle and New England. There was a play like that to get Seattle down to the goal line. There was the Edelman play, obviously Tyree. Um, all good guesses, man. You went through like every Aaron Rodgers Hail Mary there. Shout, shout out to Jeff Janis. Who thought there was going to be a Jeff Janis shout out in the podcast today? Um, I'm actually going to go right to Dwight Clark on this one. Uh, you know, you look at that 81 NFC title game, uh, the landscape of the NFL, it, it was a popular sport, but it hadn't been taken to that next level yet. Now you get an improbable play from. Joe Montana, who might be the greatest quarterback of all time, depending on who you ask. So you start his legacy a little bit with that catch. I think if you look at the landscape of the two teams as well, it was kind of like a changing of the guard. I mean, Dallas was dominant. They hadn't had a losing season since 1964. They went to five Super Bowls in the 70s. They won two of them. And then there were the 49ers who had one winning season from 1973 until 1980. We're kind of like this just one of those franchises that were just kind of there, hadn't been to the Super Bowl, hadn't done all that. You know, Dwight Clark makes this improbable catch in the back of the end zone. I mean, we're sitting here talking about great catches. I mean, you're talking about fingertips up in the back of the end zone. you got to know where you are. you got to know where your feet are. You've got defenders all around you. I just think the way that that shifted the landscape of the NFL um, gave gave that – I mean, that's the – I mean, that's called – it's called the catch, you know? So – you look at the Immaculate Reception, obviously that led to a big rivalry between the Raiders and Steelers, but that rivalry hasn't been there as much anymore. That Cowboys-49ers rivalry went on for a while, went into the 90s with Steve Young and Troy Aikman and those teams and Dion playing for both teams in that time frame. So I think just for the landscape of the NFL on a wide-eyed view, uh, that was huge because obviously, like I mentioned, the Cowboys pretty much dominated the NFC in the 70s. Uh, you know, 49ers went on to win, what was it, four Super Bowls in the 80s, obviously with Montana at the helm. Uh, again, they meet in the 90s early on in NFC Championship games. So uh, that really helped establish that as one of the premier rivalries in the NFL. And really, I think, helped put the NFL. I, I think the NFL, you know, the Steelers obviously were huge in the 70s. We mentioned the Cowboys. The Rams had a good run. The Dolphins win two Super Bowls. But, I mean, when you think about faces of the NFL at the time when it really started to take off. You have to say that Joe Montana really might have been the quarterback at the time that the NFL started to become America's game. And that all started with Dwight Clark in the back of the end zone making that catch in 1981. It's crazy. We named all of these plays and they're still, you know, I mentioned the immaculate reception. There's the, the Butler pick in the Super Bowl on the one yard line. Obviously that shifted the course of franchises. Really, Seattle really hasn't ever recovered from that. Kevin Dyson getting tackled on the one-yard line. I mean, how much closer can you get to possibly winning a Super Bowl than that? The Music City Miracle. 
uh, another huge play, which obviously is debated because was it really a lateral? We don't know. We'll never know. But uh, obviously the, hit, the history of the NFL shows that there are plenty of amazing, incredible, memorable plays. But for my money, the, uh, the catch is and will always be the catch. So rest well, Dwight Clark. Uh, and we press on here. So we, we had mentioned Julian Edelman. His name came up a couple of times, obviously ideal for the New England Patriots. Now missing four games. So he's been in the news this week. Probably the biggest wide receiver in the news this week is the guy who doesn't even play it anymore. T.O. saying that he is not going to go to the Hall of Fame induction ceremony for himself. So knowing T.O. the way that he is, he's probably setting up some sort of like pay-per-view event that you can watch his acceptance speech from somewhere. But we'll see where that goes. T.O., do your own thing, whatever. But that got us talking a little bit. And we've had this debate. We kind of got into it a little bit last week. We had talked about some premier players who aren't at OTAs. And we talked about uh, Odell Beckham and Julio Jones among other players who aren't at OTAs right now, we find ourselves looking at a lot of wide receivers. So, given that T.O. is not going to his Hall of Fame induction ceremony, this will be kind of an easy segue into keeping it talking about wide receivers. I'm going to ask you guys who it is that is the best wide receiver in the NFL. Avery, I'm going to go ahead and start with you. All right, before I answer that question, I want to change my answer. The greatest play in NFL history. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest play in NFL history to me was Beast Mode. That started the entire Seattle Seahawks as we know it to this day. Go Beast Mode. Anyway, I would say the greatest receiver in NFL, you said history or right now? Uh, right now. Okay. We'll go right now. Who right now is the best wide receiver in the NFL? The greatest receiver in NFL right now is Julio Jones. And the reason that I pick Julio is not biased because I'm a Falcons fan. It's, it has absolutely nothing to do with that because I tell people all the time, when it comes to football, I love football more than I love my fandom. That's why I play. So the reason I pick Julio is because there's absolutely nothing on the list as far as what you want from a wide receiver that he does not check off. You want route running, check. Height, check. Strength, check. Speed, check. Quickness, check. Jumping ability, check. Hands, check. Uh, you know, intelligence check there's absolutely nothing that he doesn't check off now some people will you know uh, knock him for his touchdowns but as a falcons fan and as a football fan my fan i watch a lot of film and i noticed that in the red zone in the red area they don't target him that much for a couple of reasons one he gets the most coverage rolled over top of him especially within 30 yards of the end zone that's number one so it's hard to throw the ball to the guy when he's getting double and triple team as soon as they get an opportunity to score. So that's number one. Number two, the Falcons love to go to double and sometimes even triple tight end sets inside the red area because they have two dynamic running backs who are a threat to get in the end zone, whether it be running or catching the ball. So the offense is tailored to score points, not solely make the mission to get Julio Jones touchdowns. That's not how they want to, you know, run the offense. They want to score points. And you look at it, Devontae Freeman, I believe, over the last three to four years is, I think, one or two, maybe top three as far as touchdowns in the NFL because of that. They get their playmakers the ball in those situations, and it's hard to get the play, the, I guess, maybe the, the best playmaker as far as the receiver position goes, the ball when he's getting coverage rolled over top of him all the time. Um, and then the last reason that I think that Julio Jones is the greatest receiver of all time is because 
well, not all time, excuse me, uh, right now, is because of the fact that he is the biggest threat on the field when he's on the field, period. Like, we have to, like, if we really look at other receivers across the league, they're not the biggest threat on the field the way Julio is. This guy is, when he's on the field, it's like people are like, man, we have to find this guy. I've seen Odell get single covered more than, than Julio does. I've seen Antonio Brown get single covered more than Julio does. I've seen DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green. They get more single coverage than Julio Jones does. It's really hard for Julio to put the numbers up that he does. He's still always one or two in the league as far as receptions. One or two in the league as far as yards. One or two as far as, you know, touchdowns and different things like, I mean, not touchdowns, uh, first down. So for me, I can't use the touchdown thing as a knock on them because it's just not how the offense is predicated. The offense is predicated on we will score any way possible, period. So Julio Jones takes it. Man, the captain of the Julio Jones fan club over there. All right, that being said, Chris, I'm going to turn it over to you, man. Wide receiver, who is the best in the NFL right now? Okay, first off, I just want to say you gave me a lot of excellent points, and funny enough, I did exactly what you did. I looked up the tapes. First of all, Brett Coleman on YouTube has phenomenal stuff, so I looked up a lot of game tape on specifically the matchup between Julio Jones and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on how they on how Julio was able to get off. Um, no safety help over the top. I mean, Julio was truly unguardable. Six to three, runs like a gazelle. And there's really, like, no legitimate package, whether it's man, man coverage or zone coverage, that will be able to stop them. However, when it comes to wide receivers, I do love the physically imposing guys. I love the guys who are completely athletic, who are pretty much just game changers. That being said, I like those guys. Plus, they also have the numbers to back it up, which is why I have to go with Antonio Brown. The, five, the past five years... Nobody is able to touch the numbers that Antonio Brown has. 2013, 110 catches. 129, 136, 106, 101. Those are the catches for the last five years. Five straight years with over 100 plus catches. Almost 1,500 yards. 1,700, 1,800, 1,200, 1,500. Past five years. And during that stretch, eight touchdowns, 13 touchdowns, 10 touchdowns, 12, 9. Those are all the touchdowns over the past five years. I can't, production wise, Antonio Brown is not the biggest guy. When he was drafted, he was ranked the 30 best wide receiver in all football. It was a six-round pick. But when you look at the body work that he's been able to do as the number one option with guys like Martavius Bryant, Juju Smith-Cluster, Jesse James, all being fun along, along with also Le'Veon Bell, and able to continue to get that consistency, get those numbers. With all those targets, it's completely unprecedented. So... As much as I love Julio, and I, I, for the past number of years, I have made that argument with him being the best wide receiver in football. I, I got to go with numbers on this case, and the numbers don't lie when it comes to Antonio Brown. See, but numbers can be misleading, right? And the reason I say that, right? Watch the film, and that's that's my whole thing. You got to watch the film. I watched the film of Antonio Brown, and I think that he's number three behind Odell because I have Julio one, Odell two. Antonio Brown three, not because Antonio Brown isn't good, you know, on the level of those guys. The issue I have is this, that the offense is predicated around getting him the ball, even more so than Le'Veon Bell, which is kind of mind boggling to me because he sets up the, you know, the passing game. But you look at the seasons when 
Le'Veon Bell would be suspended or injured or different things like that. They were still predicated around getting Antonio Brown the football, not anybody else. That's number one. Number two, the supporting cast that he has, the receiving core that he had to work with was much more a threat than, let's say, a Falcons or a Giants or such and such, right? So with that being said, he's going to get more single coverage. Then you watch the film and you watch all the pick routes that they run to get him open. They run wheel routes and pick routes and different things to get him into situations where he can have the best matchup. Now, that doesn't mean that he's – I'm not taking anything away from him because he still has to catch the ball, period. He definitely still has to catch the ball, which, like I said, you know, you can do that with the best of them. He's, you know, gets catches, he gets yards, he gets the numbers, he gets the touchdowns, different things like that. But, like I said, for me, there's things on the list that I can't check off with him. I'm not throwing a jump ball to him in the red zone. I'm not doing it. I'm not looking for him to block a linebacker or a defensive end on a jet sweep or on a pillback or something like that. I'm not looking for him to do that because that's not how his game is predicated. And when it comes to receiver, I look at the entire thing, not just numbers. And then lastly, I look at it from the aspect that I play. I've played football for a long time. My positions are receiver and corner on the football field, right? So I understand the nuances of playing receiver. I understand the nuances of playing corner. So when it comes to judging a receiver, the last point that I make is, who am I afraid to guard? Who am I afraid is going to get off on me and have a, 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 a crazy day or that I can't really bottle with, right? Bottle up. And that number one person is Julio Jones. And it's because of all of the other things. Some of the stuff is intangible. Like, Antonio Brown can't control his height. He can't control his strength. He can't control his size. But that plays a part into it. I'm sorry to say it, but it does. Because he's physically imposing to other defensive backs. That's why if you look at over over the years, the only two corners that really can even give Julio slight issues is Richard Sherman and Xavier Rhodes. And that's because they're big enough, physical enough to get physical with him. Anybody else is going to get murdered. Now, you get somebody like an Antonio Brown, if you get your hands on him, now that's the thing, you got to get your hands on him. But if you get your hands on him, you kind of take him out of the play. And that's why, like I said, at the end of the day, it's little things like that. I know the numbers speak loudly, but it's other little things that really can't be measured by numbers that put Julio above him for me. You know, it's interesting, every the point that you just made. I feel like you almost kind of talked yourself into a corner because you're talking about how there's cornerbacks out there that can shut down. Julio Jones, you, you said Xavier Rhodes, you said oh, no, uh, no, 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 Sherman. Not shut down. I'm saying give him a matchup that give he can actually okay. give him a matchup okay. to where he's like, oh, I gotta work, I gotta work this game. Everybody else is like, I don't got, I don't gotta work. Who, but who? You, mentioned, you mentioned Antonio Brown. If you can get your hands on him at the last scrimmage, uh, that you can take him out of the play. Now, mm-hmm. I have not seen every single play on film with Julio Jones, but I can say that there's probably been a time or two where he's gotten jacked up at the line of scrimmage too and hasn't been able to get off the ball. But yeah, that's not um, a receiver. To, to Chris's point, you're talking about five seasons of pretty intense. It's never been done, five 100-catch seasons in a row. And I would argue, and you, you said having played defensive back and wide receiver that you know this, uh, that the first thing you've got to be able to do is get off of the line of scrimmage and be able to get downfield and make play, get into the next level, make play. So um, I, I can definitely see both. I love the physical stature of Julio Jones. Like if, if you had to build a prototype of a wide receiver just from build, 
I think Julio Jones is absolutely the guy. But you can't disregard the fact that Antonio Brown has had five 100-catch seasons, over thousands of yards, tons of touchdowns. Um, I get what you're saying because, especially in that Pittsburgh offense, there's rub routes and screens and different ways to get him the ball that he can get down the field. But that's part of, of being a wide receiver. Chris, go ahead. What were you going to say? And not to mention, he was in the division for the longest time in which Joe Hayden is an all-pro corner. You got to consider that Cincinnati secondary. You also get to consider the Baltimore Ravens secondary, and also in the playoffs went against the Jacksonville Jaguars, two All Pros, Jalen Ramsey and AJ Bouye. He had seven catches, 132 yards, and two touchdowns. Both of those catches were on AJ Bouye, All Pro corner, physical, physical as well. Now I agree. Like I said, I'm not taking anything away from Antonio Brown. I'm not at all. I look at it this way though. Number one, are you drafting an Antonio Brown? Like you said, he went in the sixth round. Julio is a first-round pick, and some people might say that they mortgaged their future to get this guy. You're not drafting an Antonio Brown. You're not off the top of your head like, yeah, I need that guy. That's not what you're doing. You're like, I want the guy who has the most upside and potential, the physically imposing, the 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 six foot three who runs a four four and can jump out the building. You really can't groom that at all. Like that's something that you can't teach, right? So that's number one. Number two is I look at it from the era, right? Well, I'm watching football in the era where it's predicated to allow receivers to be as good as they are today. You don't have to be as physical. Would Antonio Brown really be as good as he was if he played in the era with Mel Blunt? Absolutely not. Mel Blunt would probably run him off of the field. Now, somebody like Julio Jones, Mel Blunt's going to have an issue with. He's huge. He's just as strong as you are. He's probably faster. He can jump out the building. He's got great hands. And this and this is why I say these are all of the things that numbers can't show you. Numbers can't show you that. These are intangibles. These are things that it's just like, I'm like, man, he, and I hate it because I'm, I'm so against the bus test, which is who is the guy coming off the bus that I look at like, oh, he's a baller. Like, Antonio Brown doesn't pass the bus test, right? But at the same time, unfortunately, in this case, that matters. It, it matters. Uh, you know, there's there's one name that we that I think I've mentioned in there uh, subtly that I think is the guy that takes the next step that I think could be that guy. I love watching DeAndre Hopkins oh, yeah. play football. Do, do I know that he's the guy right now? If I had to take other wide receivers, I probably would. However, you're talking about a guy who really hasn't played with consistent quarterback play. Uh, you look at the offense that's been in Houston in the time that he's gotten there. He's gotten Arian Foster at the end of his career. He's gotten Lamar Miller. I mean, is there just a, from a fantasy football perspective, is there a more like frustrating running back that you take early than Lamar Miller? Uh, Andre Johnson, obviously, at the end of his career. Name me all of the quarterbacks that have thrown the football to DeAndre Hopkins. So, now you hope that Sean Watson can do, even if he does a little bit of what he did last year, that helps DeAndre take his game to the next level. I've never seen a guy in, and this is, I, you know, I've been kind of downplaying the, the people he's had around him, but especially in the screen game, like DeAndre Hopkins is is slippery. There's nothing about him that's, he's not the fastest, he's not the biggest. But for me, watching DeAndre play, he's just smooth. And his hands, like, it, it almost feels like his hands, when the ball hits it, you don't even hear a sound. Like, he's just got incredibly soft hands. So, for me, maybe DeAndre is the guy that takes that next step. And if we're having this conversation a year from now, 
we may very well be talking about DeAndre Hopkins as the top wide receiver in the league. So to wrap this all up, bring this all full circle here, uh, and maybe to a point uh, to Avery and Chris to settle this wide receiver debate, does anyone know what the play was that Dwight Clark caught in that 81 NFC title game? Sprint right option, a West Coast stable, goal line stable really for any team. Does anybody know the fourth down play in the Eagles-Falcons divisional game where the Falcons went off the field on fourth down? When it hit Julio Jones in the hands and went out of bounds, sprint right option. Same play those 49ers ran in that 81 NFC Championship game. So does Antonio Brown make that catch? Does he say Antonio Holmes it? I don't know. I don't know. No. But Nobody. But if it hits but Nobody if it hits you makes hands, that catch. You got to catch it. Listen. Numbers don't lie. Wait, 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 wait. You said numbers don't lie. You're talking about film. I watched the film. It's in the hands. You got to catch it. Listen, let's understand something here. No receiver in history <laughs> makes that catch for three reasons. Number one, he got drugged to the ground. Oh my God. That's, I'm that's, this. I'm that's, this. listen, listen, what if we're talking, listen, listen, you just said, listen, nah, nah, because you just said sprint right option. So you know that sprint right option is a timing route. Right? right? Exactly. So if he I'm getting drugged to the... No. He ruined his own timing. No, he drugged him to the ground. Oh, boy. Right? That's number one. Number two, he was already out of bounds, so it wouldn't have counted anyway. So who cares if he catches so it or not? Is, so he, you're saying that his field awareness isn't as good as it should be. You're just knocking yourself No, I'm not. What I'm, no, what I'm saying <laughs> is when you get drugged to the ground, now you gotta improvise, and now you gotta try to... You know what I mean? Like, recuperate from the fact that you just got drugged to the ground, didn't get a flag in the Super Bowl. Well, not in the Super Bowl, excuse me, but but in, in, in the playoffs, like, you, you're you thinking, you're thinking to yourself, like, what? Did you not see that? More importantly, it was, more importantly, more importantly, it was, it was single coverage, and I'm Julio Jones, and you're not going to call it? It just reminds me of the time when Richard Sherman was draped all over him in the middle of the field, and they didn't call it. I'm like, how can you not call this? Kevin Crockett, Avery Collins, Christopher Thomas. It's the Aired Out Podcast brought to you by Inside the Hashes. Check us out on social media, insidethehashes.com. Wrapping it up for another week, fellas. Thank you so much. Always good talking football. Any time of day, any time of week, especially in the offseason, kickoff is not that far away. Check us out, insidethehashes.com. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>